It taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about grief. It taught me a lot about love. We grieve hard because we love hard, but also um, loving in a relationship and, and like being in a relationship with a partner, stuff like that. And it also taught me about what I will and will not settle for, if I'm going to settle at all. This is New Geechee Hair. Hey, my name is Kiana and my friends call me Kiki. And welcome to my new podcast, New Geechee from South Cat, Jersey, Boston, and now the West Coast. I'm giving YMPs what they need the most. That's inspiration to dream big and motivation to go. And good vibes only. That's all that Kiki knows. So kick off your shoes and relax your feet and vibe with me, Kiki. This is New Geechee. Hey. Welcome to the New Geechee Podcast, y'all. This is your favorite YMP Kiki. I am so happy you all have joined in on today. The New Geechee Podcast is the podcast where we create conversations that document the journeys of young melanated professionals. And in a time where positive representation matters, the journey shared will set the blueprint for current and future generations to actualize what is possible and give them the power to live with purpose. And today's episode is edited and mastered by Unbossed Studios, a media house that's focused on creating and telling black stories. The conversation that you all will have an opportunity to witness today is a dream come true and one that I've been looking forward to since I began this particular podcast. I don't follow a lot of people, but today you all will get to meet the first person that I say that I followed in college. He was my orientation ambassador, a fellow Greek, emergent scholars colleague, and his last name just so happened to be the same as my own. Antoine Edie is black boy brilliance in every single way. And today we get to dive into who and what has shaped Antoine into who he is on today. Reigning from the backwoods of Garnet, South Carolina, Antoine opens up and shares with us in his first ever podcast episode his new journey towards becoming a published author. While we get to celebrate with Antoine what he has coming down his pipeline, we learn more about what deeply drives Antoine to never settle in his life, which includes some losses that were defining moments in his life. We're talking about grief, authenticity, mentorship, family, exposure, and so much more. You're going to love it. Ede. <laughs> that was our official call on campus to one another in our Clemson days. In the year of my greatest growth in life and the world's greatest evolution, it's an honor and privilege to share this conversation as the final episode of 2020. Antoine, you are a phenomenal man <laughs> and the hometown hero that we all needed. Antoine, there's so much that I would love to try to capture in this interview, but before we sort of get into the details of who you are, where would you say Antoine Edie has been and where is Antoine Edie headed in summary? Where have I been? I have, I have been down the dirt roads of South Carolina and I'm heading to a place of infinite possibilities, to a place where I am not limited, I am not boxed, and just as I imagined down the dirt roads of South Carolina, just as I imagined playing with ninjas and building this like tree house and all of these imaginary things that 
you know, I had to create um, in order to survive the country life. I am using that power now to manifest things. So I'm bringing that imagination to life. I love it. I love it. When you mentioned the dirt roads, which I know all too well myself as well, it made me think of the road less traveled. Because you and I met at Clemson, we talk about this prestigious top 20 university that has all these amazing things happening. It's like, we came from the dirt roads. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. It, it made me think of the road less traveled. So let's talk a little bit about that road less traveled. So where are you from and what does that place mean to you? Ooh, all right. I am from Garnet, South Carolina. Uh, it's considered a part of the low country, uh, 45 minutes away from Beaufort, uh, an hour and a half, two hours away from Hilton Head Island, but it's a very rural part of South Carolina. Garnet means a lot to me because I know you mentioned the road less traveled, but I always think of it as I Too Sing America by Langston Hughes about taking advantage of the disadvantage. I grew up in a place where there were nothing but disadvantages. And somehow I was able to shift in my mind that I wanted to take advantage of those disadvantages to get what I wanted. And that led to me becoming the, the first uh, in my family to graduate from college, to go to Clemson. I'm from a place where, you know, the nearest library was 10 miles away from my area. And as a person that loves to read, because I didn't have access to the books that I wanted, um, because again, it was 10 miles away from my hometown, and my parents worked in opposite direction. There weren't any independent bookstores or there weren't any resources and places I could go to after school um, just for fun or just for like, you know, tutoring and things like that. It, it was all the community coming together to create it. So when we had tutoring services, it was because someone in the community did it like outside the church's kitchen or something like that. And, you know, we didn't have those just those established organizations. So from a place, again, full of disadvantages, where there's still an opportunity to take advantage of the disadvantages. So Garnet Ray's Little Antoine Edie, and what kind of kid was Little Antoine? Like, if I could even imagine you, Little Bear, because that's what I actually <laughs> call you. I can just see yeah. all of these different things in my mind. But, like, what kind of kid were you? Were you curious? Were you smart? Were you inquisitive? Yeah. Were you bad? Yeah. <laughs> all of that. All of that. But, you know, I think I was really good. I was good, but I was busy. I, yes. uh, I was adventurous, so mm -hmm. I spent most of my days in the woods, fishing, hunting, uh, riding four-wheelers. I had a, I had ATV. I had a go-kart, a dirt bike. Um, I had a mud bike, too, like a regular bicycle that we rode um, through mud. I was always inventing. I love to invent things. I tried to create a lot of different things with my dad's boards and tools and things that were lying around the house. Growing up, my parents called me the mad scientist because I mixed a lot of chemicals up, <laughs> oh, um, God. which was usually like my mom's hair products and stuff. I would mix everything up just to see what I could create. Eventually, that turned into them getting me chemistry sets for Christmas and stuff like that because they didn't want me to mix up anything that was like, you know, dangerous. But yeah, I was very curious. I was curious, but imaginative. And I just knew that where I was, was temporary. I knew I wanted something more, but I always wanted to definitely respect my origin for sure. So I grew up with that, that appreciation for it because even now, that's where I go for my spiritual rehydration is, is back down on the roads. There's a peace there. There's a love there. And it's family. I grew up on Edie Hill, which is my family. My grandparents are from Chicago and they purchased this uh, land and that's where my my aunts and uncles all grew up and my cousins so it was, it was nothing but family on Edie Hill. It's called Edie Hill Road, Garden, South Carolina and yeah that's what home reminds me of, is family. It's a cookout every Saturday, it's walking down the street to see what my cousins were doing, it's 
all of us getting our ATVs and things at the same time. Yeah, um, so that we can have, rough riders. Yeah, so that's exactly, and that's what it was. It's all of us getting whatever we, like when we went hunting or fishing, we all did things together so that we could do that as a community and as a family. And that's what home is for me. And that's what I was when I was younger. I love my family. I love being around them. Uh, one thing that I used to do with my brothers, when we call it going to the hill, when we would go visit like family or just go out to the basketball court, if I was sick, because I grew up with asthma too, if I was sick and like couldn't go out, I would take all of their like outside shoes and put them all in the washer so that it could delay how long, like before they could like leave the house <laughs> to keep them inside with me. <laughs> so yeah, I was that kid. I was that kid that's like going to my breathing machine with my, like nebulizer. <laughs> and I'm like, y'all can't leave. Like don't leave me in the house. So I would take all their shoes and just soak them in the washer. <laughs> But yeah, and I grew up on a small farm too, so we had our, I don't know, we had our chickens and everything too. So I I love animals, and yeah, we know you love animals. Just random quick story: he took me to the <laughs> animal farm with him one time to see the chickens. The Clemson wing was doing veterinary science, so you know, right. it's like when we think about twenty twenty in the world and like how freaking digital and industrialized it is and maybe it's not so much but it feels like it it's mm-hmm. still something to say about somebody who knows how to go and get their own eggs from the chicken or somebody who knows how to go into the woods and get some wood if the heater goes out like it's something about those very core Absolutely. things that just i think they set you up to be a good person along the way i think so i, I do think so i believe that and it's something that i actually just worked on uh, or am working on is a book that highlights that back to the farming um especially like black farmers but um just knowing how to grow our own and do our own and of course um us having like you know Gullah Geechee, uh roots that that's what it is it is living off of the land knowing how to fish and crab and shrimp and go get oysters and how to harvest all of that um, but like you said, too, when we, we had well water and when the pipes would freeze and things yes. like that, like, what do you do out there in the country? And those were good times for me, good times. You know, a storm came, power would go out, and of course, we're in the country, so it's not like we have street lights. Right, <laughs> so, it's you dark. Know, it would be like dark in the woods. <laughs> yep. So, But something about that just, I don't know, something about it I kind of long for again sometimes. Absolutely, yeah. for certain, especially now. Yeah. But you talked mm-hmm. about this inquisitive. I'm always thinking about like the unlimited possibilities of my life. And so walk us through what did you dream up success to look like as a kid? And then like, what did you end up going to Clemson to pursue and say, this is what I'm deciding to do in my adult life? Great question. Uh, success as a kid. I wanted to be a chemist. I wanted to be outdoors. Um, I, I love testing water and just being out in nature. Success for me as a kid was just being able to, uh, and this is a tough one, because success for me was being able to give back to my parents just a little bit. You know, I can't give them everything that they gave me, but I wanted to be successful enough to like just buy them something, a home where I had like a chef for them, stuff like that. That was always what success looked like for me because being the youngest of six, there were times where I hated, and this was like me being maybe third or fourth grade, where I didn't like being the youngest because I always felt like my parents were going to get older and I was thinking about like death sometimes, you know, and I was like, I hope that I can go through college and everything and then be like this adult so that I can give back to them without them aging or passing. And uh, so that's what success looked like for me. Um, Going to Clemson, I initially pursued um, environmental natural resources uh, with a concentration in biology. I know. And then I switched to pre-vet medicine. But my constant throughout this entire thing was writing. I thought about majoring in creative writing 
when I got to Clemson. And I was like, well, it was such a risk, right? Being the youngest of six and the first in my family to get to a college like Clemson and then becoming the first generation college grad, I was afraid of doing anything that was risk-based. Me majoring in creative writing would have been like, oh, you want to be an author? Like, that's too risky. I needed something because in my community, everyone's looking at me like I made it, right? So it's like, I need something that's a sure thing. So let me choose a major that, that I can go out and get a job with. And I wasn't being true to myself. I wasn't being authentic. And right before graduating, I actually thought about switching my major to English. I went to the English department and I was about to switch. It would have set me back two years. And I remember I called my mom and dad and they were like, what's well, fine, just get the degree. And then I would get upset because I was like, well, you know, they didn't go to college. So I was like, y'all don't understand. But I'm glad that I did not switch. I graduated and like, you know, here I am now. So no, when I went to Clemson, I didn't know for sure what I wanted because I had never been exposed to a lot of things. My school never had plays, right? I love theater. I love Broadway. My school never had, I'd never seen a play until I got to college. My school didn't have like a journalism class and stuff like that. We never had creative writing like clubs and things. So there's so much that I got to Clemson and my mind just like went like, wow, all of this stuff is out in the world. There are people that were like in writing programs in, in high school and stuff like that. I think what if in high school I had opportunities to do broadcasts, right? Like right. the thing that I right. struggle so hard to try to figure out on my own now and you see how people were set up 10 years ago. Plus, Mm -hmm. I can't help but wonder to like know where I would be if the thing that I'm at now just be exposed to it. Where would Mm -hmm. I be? Not even just exposure, just to know that that opportunity exists and you can make it happen the way that you want it to. So you hear people say, be the thing that you wish you had. Like that is the thing. Mm. (laughs) That is. Wow. And thankfully, Emergent Scholars, the, the program that we worked with, Thankfully, it still exists today. And look at our students now are college grads. Our students are college grads. Like literally for student PhDs now. And I'm so thankful because I was the first person from my area to work in like, you know, and the thing about our the Emerging College program is that it focuses on the low country, right? It focuses on students that went to the same high school as I did. And when I got to Clemson, I was like immediately, and I was somebody that was in the Emerging College program, but I didn't finish. I did the first summer, but that second summer I didn't go because one of my friends didn't go and I didn't want to be like there alone. So I was like, I'm not going to do that again because I was shy as well. So I went to another program instead with some friends. But so much of it, I would look back to and think, what if? Because a lot of my friends, um, even friends from Clemson, the ones that are like doctors now or nurse practitioners, they had, you know, those nursing programs, things in high school. Even friends that are like architects, they had architecture programs in high school and I had to stop beating myself up over it because you know every now and again I do look at it but then when I realize that it's me comparing myself to other people I have to stop right but I do know that maybe our paths would have been different had we had the exposure or had the resources to access to those things early on because I felt like me getting to college was when I was trying to figure a lot out and on top of figuring out yourself right so you're 18 you're trying to figure out self you're trying to figure out what I want to do with self for the rest of my life <laughs> and, and all of this. And it's just like, I don't know. It's like so many things come to me at once. I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do right now. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, it's, it's a beautiful process. So, you know, no regrets. 
Um, but I do wish sometimes that uh, I, I had figured out the writing thing a little bit earlier. Yeah, it's okay. You've been a phenomenal writer. See, when Twan was writing, it was at the thick of like Facebook notes. And you used to drop notes, you know what I'm saying? And the, for, the, for the people to read. Or you'd show up at an open mic and you might do a piece. And so when I heard you say you were shy, that was like very interesting to hear. Because for me, I can't say you were an idol because that's not what God would have me to say. But I looked up to you in so many ways. Down down to becoming an Emergent Scholars Program Advisor, to crossing into Delta Sigma Theta, he's an alpha, to being an orientation ambassador where you were my ambassador and that was my first exposure to you. You have influenced my yeah. life and so many lives in so many different ways, man. What was so beautiful about that is that here you are with this big smile, this big, beautiful smile, right? And people always talk about my smile, but then we had the same last name. And as far as we know, no relation. But here I am as an orientation ambassador. And then that next year, I think you did it your sophomore year, you were an orientation ambassador. And then I'm working at Emergent Scholars. And then you start working at Emergent Scholars. Then I cross, then you cross. And it was just like this beautiful trajectory of this person that not only did we have some similarities, but you were also just a beautiful human being, right? A beacon of hope, a beacon of light. And I was like, look at this girl go. Like, she's phenomenal. And you are. And even now, like I said, I look, I look forward to this conversation for sure because, I don't know, you may not remember, I wrote you a letter. Like, oh, a few God. Back, I Do I? You. <laughs> yeah, you I remember. remember. I, I know it heart by heart. I, I bring it up every chance I can. You said phenomenal you woman. Saying. You sent me a letter telling me that my little cross South Carolina born and raised self was a phenomenal yeah. woman and that was the greatest compliment that anybody had ever given to me and I still believe that I still believe that and that's what I say you to me are phenomenal like you're amazing so I don't even have the words there's no Maya Angelou uh phenomenal woman complimentary poem but I will tell you you just you've influenced me and in just your walk of being who you are um but if we're just being honest about life, you know, you are a young kid. You are the youngest of your family. Like nobody tells you life gets hard. Life gets challenging. Mm. And it has. Yeah. Like if we just being honest, we just talked about it, <laughs> especially with COVID. So, you know, yeah. you've had some pretty life defining moments. What do you think those biggest defining moments of your life were, you know, as you grew more into adult Antoine? Ooh. Wow. Yeah, that's a... A great question, and I think about this sometimes too. Um, I would say a few moments, right? That was crossing that stage at Clemson, graduating. It was crossing that stage because not only that, I wanted to drop out. I was about to drop out my senior year. One, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the money to pay for it, and I lied to the financial. I don't, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but I was getting ready to take summer classes, right? But I had just gotten uh, the little production, uh, what it was, a production assistant, uh, a PA position with the X Factor. I was doing a, like casting for Lifetime's uh, America's Super Nanny. And I was like, I'm going to move to L.A. I'm going to like go do some crazy stuff and like become the first black writer, uh, first black person to win a Best Original Screenplay, all this stuff, right? And I mean, yeah, I went to financial aid right before summer was about to start, summer classes. And she told me it was like $2,000-something that um, I had to pay, right, that I had left to pay. And I was like, oh, yeah, my dad will pay for it tomorrow telling a whole lie. I was just lying because I was like, yeah, this is what I was asking for because I was praying on it. And this was my way out. I really felt like this was my way out to like drop because I was like, God, do I really want to go to like Clemson? Do I really want to finish? And literally when I told her, um, when I told her that my dad would pay for it, she said, wait one second. 
she said, something's telling me that there's a story across this counter. And she went to the back. She came back with something called a Clemson Financial Hardship Fund. And I had never heard of it. Both of us haven't been orientation ambassadors. I'd already, like, I, I took CU 101. So I thought I knew everything about the university. <laughs> um, and she, and it paid, it paid for the rest of it. It paid for whatever my, like, remaining balance was. Over $2,000-something. Fast forward, like, 10 years later, one of our students for Emerging Scholars, I ran into her um, in the grocery store. And she told me, in our hometown, and she told me that she uh, had dropped out because of money situation. So I asked her to call Clemson to ask them about the Clemson Hardship Fund. Long story short, they told her they'd never heard of it. That they had never heard of it. And that was the only time I'd ever heard of it either. And it was the weirdest thing. But so, yeah. All right. Sorry. Went off on a tangent. Other life to find a moment. Yeah. That one, graduating and seeing my parents be so proud. Um, but even before graduating, when my brother passed away, it was Friday was our probate, right? When I introduced myself to the campus as a man of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, uh, specifically the Pi Alpha chapter, right? I saw him that Friday. That next Friday was when he passed away, and I just finished my final exam, and I went home to take a nap because I had put an all-nighter. I woke up to a bunch of messages. He was epileptic, and he was uh, 22 at the time, and I was 19, and he was a twin. He stopped at my parents' house to meet my other brother, his twin, um, because they were getting ready to go out of town. And, yeah, he had a, a seizure in my parents' bathroom, uh, or in his old, like, bedroom bathroom. And um, that was a defining moment because one thing that Alpha taught me was about uh, accepting the bitter with the sweet. And I know that that was, that life lesson would hit me so quick. It hit me so quickly because I just learned it a few weeks before, when, like, something through Alpha. Um, any Alpha that listens to this, they don't know what I'm talking about. But I just learned that. And then have that immediately show up um, where I had to show up and say, all right, I just learned this lesson and now I need to apply it. So that was a life-defining moment for me because we think about our parents getting older and, and potentially passing, right? I never, I never imagined a sibling passing, not at all. And then, of course, um, I'm 31 now, but four years ago at the age of 27, um, I lost uh, both my parents um, and both unexpected. Uh, and that was a truly defining moment um, because I never could see myself uh, existing on this earth without them. I never, I could never see it when my mom passed. Um, literally, I wanted to like sleep for months and just like wake up and once everything was done. But what was defining in that moment was showing up for myself, showing up for my family, organizing funerals, planning funerals, which I, would, I hope I never have to do again. It was defining because it taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about grief. It taught me a lot about love. We grieve hard because we love hard, but also um, loving in a relationship and, and like being in a relationship with a partner, stuff like that. And, and it also taught me about what I will and will not settle for if I'm going to settle at all. Because it's like at that point, it's like you've lost everything or it, feel, it felt, feels like in that moment that you've lost everything. But through their deaths, I, I've learned how to live. And I'm still learning how to live because I've um, I've gone through the phases of grief for sure. Um, that the, you know the, the anger, the denial, uh, the dismissal of it, everything. But sometimes I look back and I look at myself now. I'm like, man, I'm still standing, and I, I feel proud. I, I take pride in that because and having so many siblings too, I see how grief affects all of us differently. Even now, especially during the holidays, I see how it's affecting all of us uh, four years later. And I don't know, I've tried to do the work as far as grief counseling and therapy, but I can say for sure that 
being able to just hang in there, that, that has been defining me and it still is shaping me. It's shaping who I am. Because like I said, now with good news too, it's always, my good news is always for my parents. That's the my go-to first and foremost was always my parents. So when, even now when I get good news, I still have to like, I have to acknowledge what I'm feeling. Um, and like I said, let it filter because grief, everything filters through grief. Everything filters through what we're feeling right now. Um, and then, yeah, I just acknowledge it. Well, first and foremost, thank you for the transparency. For me, and I'm sure for many others, it hurt us to see you go through that level of hurt. And I'm not even saying like you were publicly displaying your hurt, but it's like when you love somebody, you can feel it. You can feel it even if I'm not even looking at you, right? But I know the kind of person that you are. That situation will continue to guide you to, again, just live more Mm -hmm. freely and live more unapologetically, Um, even though it won't be easy. It's crazy how moments define us. And I think it was you who told me once upon a time, like sometimes we go through life, especially when we're kids and we don't even know how things are affecting us. Right. Mm-hmm. And there, there would be things that I would go through and it's like, I didn't even realize it was that bad, but it's that bad. These things could have taken people out, but yeah. you're still standing. And so it's like, now what yeah. can I do and shape from that? But so many mm. other incredible things have happened to you since those really defining moments have happened. So you care to yeah. share, you know, what what has Antoine Edie been up to lately? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So I I am publishing books. I'm publishing books. I'm excited about it. Um, this is something that, ironically enough, uh, before my mom passed, again, which was unexpected, the week before she passed, uh, I went into her bedroom and we were just talking, right? And she said, Tuan, I don't know what you're going to do with your writing, but you're going to do something special one day. And at that time, I wasn't writing. Um, I was preparing for a move to Savannah. I was getting ready to move to Georgia. And when I moved here, I threw all of my old like manuscripts and things away because I wanted to start over, start fresh, right? After they passed, it was maybe, what, 2019, I think. I picked up the pen again, and that was because of meeting uh, Nana Kwame Audrey Brigna, who uh, is the author of Friday Black. I'm, he's a young black author, and I saw the possibilities from there. He was here at Savannah Book Festival, and I was like, okay, here's his brother up there doing that. I want to do that, too. I know I can do it. I see him now. So I started initially writing for Savannah Morning News as a contributing writer, and then eventually I said, you know, I want to get published. So I started researching the process of how to get an agent, which is a process called querying where you send out a manuscript, and if an agent is interested, then he or she, they they will open up the manuscript, they'll contact you and say they want to offer representation. I didn't know anything about writing. I'm an author. I'm a children's author, so I do picture books, middle grade novels, young adult novels. Eventually, I'll go into some other areas too, but started writing, uh, got rejected for my first book completely by every agent that I queried. I guess the first thing I did too, I'm skipping some steps was figure out whether whether or not I wanted to self-publish or go the traditional route. I wanted to go, and I want to go the traditional route because you'll learn that even now there are more animals being published in like picture books. There are more animals being published than there are of black characters. And then when you learn, and there are more white characters first, and then there are animals, then there are black characters. Then you learn that with the black characters, the black representation in picture books that are out there, they're more written by white authors than they are by black authors. So from there, I was like, all right, because I always been an avid person. Like, everybody knows if it's a baby shower or whatever, I'm buying books from kids. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's all I do. <laughs> and this way, even now, where uh, I was talking to my sisters and, and my brothers, and one of my nieces, uh, my sister, like, she was like, oh, Uncle Twan had something for you. And she's like, let me guess, a book. <laughs> so, like, that's my thing. Birthdays and everything, you're getting some books. Yeah, so I have my first book, Niger in the Moon, is a picture book uh, by Catherine Teagan Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. 
and I have some good news from next week uh, for another book from last week uh, about another book uh, that I can't mention yet. But I have some amazing things in the works. I am looking forward to the author life of touring, of, of meeting the, the kids, reading my book. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm uh, representing now. I, I have an agent after, like I said, my first last year, my first book was uh, rejected altogether. But I went back to the drawing board, started taking classes, started like teaching myself. And that's where I'm at. I'm excited about it because this is this is my miracle territory, it feels like. This is what I've always known. I've always written since, I don't know, fourth grade. Uh, it started with poetry. That's my, my first love. Even now, I see that that influence because I do lyrical text sometimes. So I see the influence of poetry uh, in my work. And I'm excited because it's, it feels right. It feels good in my spirit. And, and I'm living the thing that I wanted to live so long ago that I was too afraid to go for you know, I just, I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to become an author. The road less traveled. I know that's going to be the episode name because that's all I could keep thinking of. It's like, even though it's taken this mm-hmm. long while, all of these other pieces, they fit together. For example, I went to go get my oil change the other day. The fact that I used to work for a tire company allowed me not to let this guy swindle me into getting this, these fake mm. new filters. You just never know how that stuff is going to fit together, but it does. I mean, that's random. Example, exactly. But it does. It all works together. But that's what it is. It's our experiences. And uh, I think it was Oprah, someone that said, no experience is ever wasted. Yes. And I truly believe that. I truly believe that all of these experiences, good, bad, everything in between, even when I worked jobs that I didn't like for, for little pay or even when I was like, you know, working at McDonald's in high school and stuff like that. Though All of those moments, they serve, they serve a purpose some way. And even now, we may not necessarily see it. It could be things 10 years from now that may have occurred like in the fourth grade for me that's going to shape me somehow but help me in that moment so yeah I just I take those experiences and I just I love when it happens because I can acknowledge it and like thank God thank the universe for it and feel like oh I get it I get it now Mm -hmm. it's all about perspective and if you just hold on long enough it'll all bring itself back around to show us what that was meant to teach us and how it was Mm -hmm. meant to actually strengthen us so for people who are listening and maybe they've endured the things that you have, maybe they are trying to find their authentic self because I told you Twan's authenticity makes me want to be my most authentic self. What last piece of advice would you have for people mm. as we exit out of the exodus that is 2020? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> speak your truth. Speak your truth. I think Desiderata, it says, speak your truth quietly and clearly, but it also says, listen to others, even the dull and the ignorant because they, and I'm going to paraphrase, because they too have a story. And it also says like, avoid loud and aggressive persons because they are vexations to the spirit. So I would say it starts off, go quietly amidst the noise and haze and remember what peace there may be in silence. So sometimes silence is okay. Use this time, I would say, to listen to yourself, to find yourself, whatever that looks like for you. uh, It could be through a television show too. It could be through music. It could be Sometimes it is just sitting in silence, but to not be afraid to go there in a safety way, like, you know, within the right conditions, take a deeper dive into yourself um, because it, it is scary. And it's something I have to remind myself to do. So my advice would be to just try to be authentic in the way that we speak, in the way that we exist and live. And it's not easy. There are now times, too, where I still clam up, you know, uh, but I still try to make sure that when I can bring myself to the light, I do in a truthful way. So. Absolutely. How can people connect with you on social? Twitter, I am Antoine underscore Edie. That's A-N-T-W-A-N underscore E-D-E-A-D-Y. 
On Instagram, I am Antoine-ED underscore, something like that. But it's all Antoine-ED. And my website is www.antoineed.com. And, yeah, especially if anybody's interested in becoming an author, uh, I have I founded an organization called Black Creators and Kit Lit. Um, it specifically focuses on picture books because I wanted more of us writing picture books. But they've done – the core group of, of co-founders have done a phenomenal job with – everything and they're taking it to the next level with working on like graphic novels and not like middle grade novels and everything and we invite publishing professionals to come do zoom sessions with us and that's agents that's editors it's marketing departments it's web design people like so many different people from publishing to assist and help black creators get in there because our stories are there it's always been there publishing has always wanted our stories and now we're in a position to tell them and that's what i'm happy about so yeah, please feel free to uh, check out those resources. This will close us out on the New Gigi podcast for 2020. And we nearly hit everything. But I think this is just enough to get people excited about what you're doing and to really kind of like recenter and refocus. And um, consider that the road less travel may not be as bad as we might think it is sometimes. Absolutely. Silv, I love you. I appreciate you um and again you you definitely are phenomenal and i just admire all that you do and all that you touch because the world has gotten a taste of it but not the entire thing there's so much here that you have to offer and and, and to give and i look forward to all that you're going to do well thank you my dear the pleasure is all mine and that's the podcast folks if you enjoyed what you listened to today make sure that you head on over to the apple podcast app and show some love your reviews mean the world to us and they help us to climb the podcast charts and help more people get to see the mission of the nugichi podcast and if you aren't already make sure that you head on over to instagram facebook and twitter like us follow us and engage with us And we just cannot wait to have you join us for another episode. Remember that there is power in connecting the culture. Y'all be good. No, be great.